Colossians chapter number 4. We've been out of Colossians for a while and we're getting back in uh, this morning so we can finish this book. And we, if you let me remind you of what our theme was, it was the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And as we can near the end of the book, all these areas of our lives where Christ is to be preeminent. If you and I say that Jesus Christ is preeminent in our lives, then it will be evident and people will know it. And uh, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and I'm not here to judge anyone's salvation, but they do contrary to what Christ and the Word says. And it does a lot of harm, and you'll see especially to those who are not saved. Because the unsaved are watching the saved. They want to know if it's real. There's a lot of skepticism in their minds and their hearts, and some of it's genuine. And they want to know if there's something real and something different about those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Nowhere have we ever, nor does the Bible suggest that we are perfect. Uh, we stand on the merits of the righteousness of Christ, not our own. But there should be a desire, a striving for holiness in the life of the believer. And so we come to Colossians chapter 4, and I'd like to speak to you on the subject this morning of the preeminence of Christ in our witness. The preeminence of Christ in our witness. Would you stand with me, please? Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And we will read, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Lord, again, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and how powerful it is. We bow before you this morning and we ask you to speak through your word. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you'd enable me to preach. Lord, I don't want to do anything that hasn't been sent from you. I don't want to do anything in the flesh. I want it all to be your message for your people. And Lord, I pray if there's one here that's not saved, that he or she would trust you this morning before it's everlastingly too late. Lord, do a mighty work in our church. We love you. We praise you. Lord, I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If Jesus Christ is to be preeminent in our lives, then we will want to tell others about Him. What you say and how you say it has a profound effect effect upon your witnessing. There is a lost and dying world that desperately needs to see Christ in us. There are some who will never pick up a Bible and you may be the only Bible someone reads. You may think, well, people are not watching me. They are watching you. And it does make a difference. In the context, remember, Paul has made this wonderful case that Christ is preeminent, and then he begins to show us some practical areas of our lives in which that preeminence should be revealed. And one of the places is our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing up in a church, a strong, fundamental, independent Baptist church, and I'm thankful for my heritage, I'm thankful that's where I was saved, I was baptized, I was called to preach, I was married, my mother was buried in that church, that church means a lot to me. I've only been in two churches my whole life. That church and this life, this church. And um, I'm thinking about that church growing up. There was an emphasis on that day on soul winning. There was an emphasis on the church reaching the lost and dying world. 
And somewhere along the way, the devil got in and he has warped our thinking somehow and we have left, let the throttle off of our evangelistic efforts. If you and I were honest, my, my being, I'm a preacher, I'll tell you the truth, we don't witness nearly like we used to. We have many excuses that we use, but the bottom line is, it is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ that we go and make disciples. And we have come to the place in our lives where we can explain it away and it's no longer important to us and that it doesn't matter. I tell you, I struggled with this message because of the conviction in my own life. In this text, Paul says... It is a natural occurrence, I shouldn't say natural, it is a spiritual occurrence in those people's lives who have the preeminence of Christ in their lives. It is a a spiritual outflowing, it will happen, that they will witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. They will. And we have come to the place, again, where we have become lethargic, it doesn't matter to us. You know, we used to stand in here and say, hey, we had three get saved in Awana last week. And we used to clap and applaud that. Now we don't even mention it. And I take responsibility for that. Shame on me. Tell me, what is greater on the face of the earth than someone passing from death unto life? Someone coming and being saved. There's nothing greater. And so, Paul says, if you're... If you are one who believes in the preeminence of Christ in your life, then you're going to tell someone about Him. Notice what he says. There's three things in here, three components to our witness as pertaining to the preeminence of Christ. Number one, he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom. Now it is clear toward them that are without. He is speaking that we should walk. Walk means to tread around in the Greek. It actually means as you're living life, it means your daily routine. It means as you're going, we have to walk in wisdom towards people that are without. Unsaved people. It matters how we conduct ourselves. There were two big name preachers. They were preaching a revival in one city and they all went out to dinner with some other preachers. And one of the preachers at the table was very angry with the waitress and all that had gone, she had done and all that, uh, you know, was not right with the meal and the meal was cold, it was wrong, it was a long wait and all com- complained about everything and finally he raked that woman over the coal and she went back and she was almost had a tear in her eye and she went back and the other preacher leaned over and he said, hey, when she comes back, I want, I want you witness to her about the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher made his point. How you treat people, especially unbelievers, says more about you than it does about them. And we have to come to the place in our lives where we understand that our walk matters. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowledge and the ability to use that knowledge. Now, I know some people have knowledge, but they don't know which end of the screwdriver to use. I know some people that can't unwrap a chewing gum wrapper. But you can ask them something that happened in 1938 and they can tell you. Wisdom is important in the life of the believer. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said, if you want wisdom, ask for it. If you need wisdom, James says, ask for it. God will give you wisdom. And we need to have wisdom to understand how we are to walk in a world full of unbelievers. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 tells us, See then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectfully means carefully. Walk carefully. There is a portion of Scripture that says that we are not to be a stumbling block to those who are unsaved. That's why many of the things that you may think you have liberty to do, you shouldn't do it. And I have no problem saying that you shouldn't do it. There are things that the church does today that 20 years ago they would have never imagined they would do. Our walk matters. There are people who are lost. They're watching us and they don't see any salt in us. They don't see any difference in us. And it hinders them. I was, I was told this past week, a man who was a counselor, Christian counselor, and he was on some kind of ambient for sleeping, he was having a, or some kind of medicine, he was having a difficult time, some of his patients had committed suicide and so on and so forth, and he decided, man, I've got to relax, so he had a beer. And it messed, one beer messed with him. And he did something inappropriate to, he, he grabbed a woman in, a, in an inappropriate manner and he is arrested now and he's supposed to be a Christian counselor. He is going to have to go to prison and all of the world looks at that and says, see, they're no different than the world. Wisdom! Wisdom! Stay away from that stuff. Wisdom! Walk in wisdom! Toward them that are without Guys, listen to me. This is a serious matter. This is not just something that we think we're better than anyone else or that we're putting on a show or we want someone to think we're spiritual and all this. That's not the point. The point is, is that we want to win people to Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is preeminent in my life. He has first place in my life. He is the priority of my life. That's why I tell people about Jesus and that's why my walk matters. Walk in wisdom. Number two, he says, redeeming the time. Time matters. Time matters. When you're a kid, you say, man, when I get older, when I just get a little bit older, I can drive. Right? And how many of you, when you got your driver's license, mom, dad, you need me to go to the store? I'll go to the store. And like two months later, you're like, I don't want to go to the store. You go to the store. And you get 16 and you think, well, man, if I could just be 18, I would have to live under these goofy rules my, my parents make and... You know, I can go out and I'll show them that I can make it on my own. And then when you're 21, man, oh man, I'm really an adult now. And you're in the mid-20s. That's why I say no millennial should be in charge of anything. Can I have an amen? I was 21-year-old once. And I think back, Lord Jesus, help me. What you brought me through, it had to be you. And then, you know, we get in our 20s and if I could just get here in my 30s and, and then you get in your 40s and you're like, oh, slow down time. And you're in your 50s and you're like, time, what's time? And you're like, in your 60s, you're like, oh, you're counting the other way now. Time matters. And we, we spend so much time on the non-essentials of life. We waste so much time. Redeeming the time actually means making the most of our time. You know, there's an urgency today that we get back to winning souls to Jesus Christ. There's an urgency in that people are dying every day of all ages. My daughter told me that there have been so many thousand that have died from the flu this year already. 
It's not a discriminator of age. Death comes. There's, it is appointed unto man once to die, but next the judgment. Death will come. There's an urgency in our time. Time matters. Making the most of our time. I am a chronic time waster. Is anybody with me? I can stretch something that's ten minutes into an hour and a half and feel good about it. I need help. I'm telling you. Because there are times, listen, there are times when we have opportunity and we don't make the most of that opportunity. I was at Abundant Life Baptist Church on staff and I had gone to see a man who was in the intensive care. I went to the hospital to see him and for some reason I couldn't get in at that moment and I said, I'll be back. And I left. And that man died that night. I don't know if he was ever saved. But I tell you, I bear the weight in my soul and the guilt that I was there and I didn't wait and I didn't go in. I didn't make the most of that opportunity. I didn't make the most of that time. Now you may be sitting there saying, well, salvation is up to the Lord. I know salvation is up to the Lord, but if He sends you there for a reason, you better do it. Leave the sovereignty up to Him. We've got to get back to redeeming the time. We have opportunities. We see people and we say, well, I'll put it off. Don't put it off. Sunday school teacher, when you have the time, don't take it for granted because a kid's been raised in the church that he's saved or she's saved. We have to always take every opportunity, every opportunity of that time we have with those children to make sure that they know Jesus Christ. Told you this before. There was a kid that came up in our youth group. He was getting married and he called and I was here then and he said, Hey, can, would you do our wedding? I said, Yes, I need to talk to you all first. So he and his fiancée drove down to Wheelersburg and they came in the house and <clears throat> I sat down and talked with them. And before I start, I said, you know, t- I know Bradley, I know your, your uh, testimony, but tell me your testimony. And his fiancée said she grew up in this church and everything she talked about, you know, being in church all my life, and her, but she never specifically said that she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that bothered me. I said, has anyone ever taken you and sat you down and opened up the Scriptures and show you how you can have eternal life? Now she was uh, 19 years old, 20 years old, around that age. And no one, she grew up in a church and no one had set her down and taken the Word of God and shown her how she could have eternal life. No one. How could that happen? How could someone come up through a church and someone in the church... Just anybody. How could someone come up and not personally be invited to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because in our land today, we are filling time with mindless, meaningless junk. These crazy phones, and I've got one and I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. I'm going to turn around and sit and preach this way. We sit there and and waste uh, waste all kinds of time. We go to dinner and you'll see a family all sitting at the table and the whole family's all on their phones. Uh, when we all have a family thing at Dad's, he started collecting the phones. And he's King Richard, everybody turns their phone in. That's what they called him at the other church, King Richard. <laughs> Guys, we're chronic time wasters. You see someone and you have an opportunity to witness to them and you don't. You don't. 
Man, wouldn't you hate to stand before Jesus Christ and say, one of your best friends that you grew up with, that you had ample opportunity to share Christ with, and you didn't do it, you didn't take advantage, you didn't redeem the time, you didn't share Jesus Christ with that person, and that person died and went to hell, and not only do you stand with that on your conscience, you stand before God knowing that you were not faithful to Him, wouldn't that be tragic? Time matters. There's an urgency. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Stop putting it off. Now's the time that we have. You only have this moment right now. Make the most of it. Remember when Pastor Duke was here and he preached the magic of the moment. I remember that. We miss the magic of the moment right here because we're always thinking about tomorrow. We're always thinking about something else. And we miss the moment right here, right now. And Paul says that when we learn to walk in wisdom, we'll understand that our time is valuable. How many of you love to go to a doctor's office and sit there for an hour? Who loves that? I mean, we just absolutely can't wait to go sit and wait on a doctor. How many of you have ever gotten aggravated for having to wait on a doctor? Okay. You understand how important time is. When it's against you. How about when it's against God when He is the giver of time? And redeeming that time. Time matters. Your walk matters. Number three, your speech matters. Verse number six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Hey, let me just take you through a few scriptures of what the Bible says about your speech. You think your speech is not important. It is very important. Proverbs 18 and 21 tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen, our speech matters. Would you turn uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34? He'll have it on the screen. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You know what he's saying? He is saying your speech reveals the condition of your heart. That makes sense now. We say off-color things that don't really matter. It's not really a, a bad word. Listen, it's not becoming of Jesus Christ. And I don't care what you say. If you're a God-fearing person and you were in front of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't say that filth if you could see Him and He was watching you. Can't convince me of that. But yet we say it and we look at it and we read it. I'll be scrolling through something. I've got a new policy. It's a one-cuss word limit. And you're going to be unfriended. Now, I know you don't care, but I feel good. It makes me feel clean. Like cleaning house. Someone's going to put some filth on there? You out of here. In the name of Jesus. Why? Because your speech matters. When does it matter? Always. Always. Let your speech always be with grace. Always. It always matters. You know why? Because speak, your speech is one of the most notable things about you in the community. When I go to a ball game, I don't look around at the people and say, Oh, look how calmly she's sitting over there. I'm looking at the idiot that's yelling over here. Thinking, what is he doing? And you do too. Why? Because it's most notable. 
And there's a connection between your tongue and your heart. That's what the Bible says. There is a connection between your tongue and your heart. And what you say reveals the condition of your heart. Now let me just say this. And I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. But if it hits you, I love you. And I'm not going to change it because you get mad at me. But some of you have changed the little cuss word around. And you say it. And you say it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Why? Because that's not seasoned with great, uh, that's not with grace or seasoned with salt. I'm just telling you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. And when it comes out of your mouth, don't be surprised. It's not a mouth issue, it is a heart issue. And the reason we can't win sinners to Christ is because we've got filth coming out of our mouths. Let your speech always be with grace. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The wise man's mouth is gracious. Full of grace. We talk about grace. Then he says, seasoned with salt. You know, salt is a preservative. And sometimes salt stings. Has anybody ever had an open wound and get salt in that wound? It stings, doesn't it? It speaks of the purity of our words. And the preservation of our words. You know that there are people who have said things... And those things have been a lie, and they've said them so long they believed them. Do you know that people have said things about their health that is proven? There are statistics, it's proven, that they talked about illness so much that they actually became ill. Do you know that the Bible still says that death and life are in the power of the tongue? Do you know that James says that our tongue is like a rudder on a ship? It's a small member, but it can turn the whole course of the body. Do you know that James says that the tongue is, a, is a full of deadly poison and unruly evil? No man can tame the tongue. Paul knows all this. That's why he says, let your speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt. We say things to people and it's not Christ-like. It's not Christian-like. And guys... We're, we're today, and, and I understand now a little reason why some people believe that independent Baptists, we think you can live any way you want to live after you've gotten saved. Because they'll say something, you say, you should say, well, preacher, it's just a word, it don't matter. It does matter, read the Bible. Whatever happened to second mile Christians? We're second mile Christians. We surrender our desires and our wills that we might reach someone with Jesus Christ. We're the ones who don't want to be a stumbling block. I'm not going to do that. Why? I don't want to be a stumbling block. I, for the life of me, I don't understand this. And rather than dealing with it and confessing it and saying, Oh God, clean, clean my tongue up, we go along with it trying to justify it and not even thinking about that the Bible says... 
In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. You know that dirty joke? You try telling that dirty joke to Jesus and see if it's funny. That little word that you say that really doesn't matter, you try telling Jesus that. Accountability. Our words matter. And when we come to this text, Paul's saying when it comes to witnessing and the preeminence of Christ, there should be nothing in our walk, there should be nothing in our time, there should be nothing in our speech that would hinder us from reaching someone with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's another issue here. At the last, he says, that, or maybe you can translate, so that, ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Listen, you and I, you and I have the opportunity there will be people who question us. There will be people who are watching us and they want to know the answer. You're at work and they start telling the dirty jokes or whatever and you excuse yourself and you leave. And they start dropping words and you say, hey, you know, listen, hey, I, I appreciate you, I respect you as a person, but I don't talk that way and I'd ask you if you wouldn't talk that way around me please. I don't want that garbage in me. I don't even want to look at those words. I don't want them in my mind. I'm I'm so afraid that I would slip and say something and I don't talk that way. I don't even want to read it on Facebook. I don't think it's funny. I don't want to see it. I don't want that in my... Do you know that your brain is like a hard drive and it takes pictures and images in your brain, they go there somewhere and they're filed. Now I know it's hard for some of you to believe that. I know you think there's just nothing in there floating around, but I'm telling you, it's there. And you're remembering it. And it'll come up and it'll come out. That's why he tells us to take every thought captive to Christ. To the obedience of Christ. That's why I watch the hunting and fishing channel most of the time. And DIY building those off-grid houses. Because I don't have to deal with all that other commercial garbage or trying to push down my throat. Because I know what the Bible says. And I'm not going to have that on my conscience. And those fishing shows, they they catch fish, but they also give Scripture. Hallelujah. No millennials care about those. That's why I'm over here. You can't ruin that. Not all millennials are bad. Let me just say that. And I shouldn't joke that way. I apologize. There are a lot of millennials who are searching and there are a lot of millennials who love Jesus. And may their tribe increase. Listen to what 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Paul and Peter agree on this matter. That there is supposed to be in us something that men ask us. And when they ask us, we can tell them the difference is Jesus Christ. The difference is the preeminence of Christ. You know what took me and from a sinner on my way to hell and made me a saint on my way to heaven? Jesus Christ. And listen to me. How in the world 
Could any of us that have been set free from the bondage of sin return to it? God set us free and purged us from that stuff. How could we return to it? I'm telling you, what we need are some men and women who will stand up and say, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He is preeminent in my life. And because He's preeminent, I'm going to walk in wisdom. And because He's preeminent, I'm going to redeem the time. And because He is preeminent, I am going to let my speech be with grace and seasoned with salt because I don't want to stand in the way of someone that might come to Jesus Christ. If you're not going to witness to them, just please don't stand in the way of them coming. If you refuse to be disobedient and not witness to Christ, that's one thing. But don't stand in the way of sinners coming to faith in Jesus. Would you bow with me for prayer?